Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs, wishing you a very happy new year. 2022 is coming to an end with greater speed than we might have imagined. For a while there, 2022 was a bit of a drag. I'd say right after the disappointing midterm elections, it was deeply disappointing. It took a week for all of us, I suspect, uh, all of us America Firsters and MAGA supporters, to collect ourselves and ready ourselves for the long march battle that faces us. The Marxist Dems are reveling in their victories, and there's no sense whatsoever in the rest of us spending our time calling them out for their lies, their bad faith, and even worse, their criminal efforts to destroy the nation. They're advancing their agenda, and we're doing too little to slow them to stop them. And that has to change, and change in the new year. Today, as we say adios to 2022, I thought it might be interesting to listen to a few folks about a few issues that we have to resolve soon, certainly in 2023. We talked a lot about DOJ, FBI corruption in 2022, and with good reason. There was lots of it. We talked with FBI veteran and CBS News security analyst James Galliano about all of that corruption and... The COVID virus that is again spreading from China to the rest of the world, we turn to biochemist, virologist, and inventor of mRNA on whether we should be vaccinating at all, Dr. Robert Malone. And on January 3rd, the 118th Congress convenes with a new Republican majority. And one of the many big issues is who will lead Congress as Speaker of the House. Now, that battle pits rhino Kevin McCarthy versus conservative Congressman Andy Biggs and the America First Republicans. Virginia Congressman Bob Good, member of the Freedom Caucus, on why the Republicans must find a committed America First leader to be their speaker. Also, you'll hear from Florida Congressman Matt Gates. He opposes Kevin McCarthy. Congressman Gates says he would consider almost any other congressman but Kevin McCarthy. You'll hear why here today. First up, former FBI agent James Galliano. We now know because of the Twitter files, William Barr's book, and more than a few FBI whistleblowers that the Justice Department, the FBI, has been riddled with corruption for years. And the top officials of the FBI and DOJ have led the way. James, your reaction to learning the depth of the corruption in the FBI. Well, I, I got to tell you, Lou, um, you're right. I spent 25 years, a full one half of my life when I retired at the age of 50. Um, and I, I love the organization. I continue to love it. I believe um, the core tenets of it, fidelity, bravery, and integrity still resonate. And they still mean something to the vast majority of agents that work there. Look, I, I served under four of the only 
eight FBI directors in the Bureau's history. And the Bureau started as the Bureau of Investigation back in 1908. And Lou, I think for a long time now in the media, you know, I've been out for six years. Um, I've been holding on to Hanlon's razor. And, you know, Hanlon's razor is that, uh, that, that famous aphorism that says, never attribute to malice that which can adequately be explained by stupidity or incompetence. And I, right. I held on to that throughout all the insanity of, you know, mid-year review and, 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 and the Russian collusion case and those investigations and the IG investigations and reports. But I'll tell you, Lou, I mean, c- corruption is a, is a strong word, but I, I struggle now not to sense there to be the pervasion of partisanship in an agency that needs to remain non-political, apolitical, non-partisan. Yeah, I, I think that they are, as you say, deeply partisan. They're, it's a deeply corrupted agency. Uh, and I, I think the difficult thing for most of us is to say there are so corrupt that there is no longer a, a basic core to the FBI that is both decent and honorable and faithful to their constitutional oaths of office. Uh, we are looking at uh, what is has been an assault on a president for now. It's in the seventh year. We're looking at two impeachments, uh, two special counsels now. Uh, we've had more than three years of investigations of this president. And frankly, the only wrongdoing that's been uh, uncovered uh, is the straight-out lies of four successive directors of the FBI and a, a, a large number of FBI op- agents and Department of Justice officials who are clearly politically corrupt. Uh, the American people right now, I truly believe, are in something uh, of a state of shock at what we are now coming to terms with. Yeah, I think I think some of it. Look, we're all fallible, flawed human beings. I'm I'm not breaking new ground there, and and we're all, you know, we all have our own implicit biases. But one of the things that I felt that allowed me to pride myself on being a part of of the Federal Bureau of Investigation was, Lou, the the 25 years that I was in that organization, and I left on December 31st of 2015. Um, was the fact that I never knew what my colleagues' political ideological bents were. We didn't talk about it. We talked sports. We talked uh, home life. Um, You know, we broke stones. We laughed. We did what cops do. We never, ever, ever discussed matters of a political stripe. And, And I just believe that as the Bureau is changing demographically, and I'm not speaking about race, creed, color, ethnicity, sexual orientation, but as it changes ideologically, where for the longest period of time, Lou, the Bureau was a staunchly conservative outfit. That didn't mean that people just voted Republican who were FBI agents, but it was a conservative outfit. It's not anymore. And I think a lot of the ideological changes um, has resulted in, and I'll use the A word, activism. Um, just like we see on the Supreme Court or we see on the federal bench where you have liberal justices that decide not to read the Constitution the way it is written, but to interpret it um, to fit their worldview. And Lou, 
I think that's affected the FBI as well. James Galliano, a great American. Let's turn now to what appears to be an upcoming rerun of January of 2020. That's right, COVID returns. Public health officials seem confused about that new variant of the Chinese virus, COVID. So we face perhaps a triple threat of the Chinese virus, the return of the flu virus, and RSV, a highly contagious respiratory virus. Turning to Dr. Malone, his thoughts on this iteration of COVID and the role of public health agencies, the medical establishment, and big pharma. Okay, so uh, absolutely we have been subjected to three years of chronic uh, um, uh, fear porn and information warfare uh, to serve a variety of interests. It's hard to disambiguate exactly what they are. Long ago, it seems like forever, I had mentioned in various podcasts that the general arc of what happens when a new pathogen, especially a viral pathogen, especially a RNA respiratory virus pathogen, enters the global human population. And the tendency is when it jumps from another species or from a laboratory, uh, in so it's a novel pathogen, it enters the human population. In general, what happens is that it will go through an evolutionary process fairly rapidly and typically become less pathogenic and more highly infectious. And uh, the alternative hypothesis has been that that Gert von Nebusche has promoted uh, appropriately. I'm not criticizing him in any way, but uh, there, there's always the risk in virology in public health that a virus could take a different path and evolve to become more pathogenic. The good news is that it looks like this thing is on track as I had originally hoped it would be. And we are getting agents which are more highly infectious and less pathogenic. So uh, we absolutely have uh, clear indications that the virus has evolved to escape the immune response elicited by the uh, vaccine products. And, uh, I, you know, I hesitate to call them vaccines, whatever you want to call them, uh, the jabs. Uh, and it also has evaded all, virtually all of the monoclonal antibody produ products that were generated here in the United States for the American population. And those have all been basically withdrawn because they're no longer effective. Wow. So that teaches us a lot about monoclonal antibodies and uh, respiratory viruses. Uh, but I, I think that um, uh, it's, you know, the, the administration has, has yet again spun up another kind of dark winter uh, ominous foreboding uh, storyline uh, go get your vaccines, et cetera. Remember that they've uh, appropriated uh, without congressional authorization, they have essentially reappropriated HHS funds to the tune of about $475 million to promote the bivalent vaccines, which depending on which study you look at, only 11 to 14% of the population have accepted. Uh, and they're very frustrated because we're not all willing sheep. Uh, and we think so many of us are thinking for ourselves, even Tony Fauci was on record during his uh, 
um, you know, last pass at the DC press tour a couple weekends ago, expressing frustration that um, his opponents seem to be winning uh, as as measured by the unwillingness of the population to take the products, uh, particularly these bivalent boosters and uh, the jabs for kids. So that's where it's at. I think we've now been through two dark winter forecasts from the president of the United States. Um, particularly last year, as remember, he was predicting widespread death in the unvaccinated. Um, uh, I'm very glad that that prediction did not come to pass. Uh, we all are. We all I are. hope, I hope he is glad too, uh, um, that, that those dark warnings did not manifest. They may not have been politically useful that that didn't happen, but I hope he's committed to the health of absolutely some respiratory virus cruising around. I don't, I'm not convinced it's COVID uh, or SARS-CoV-2. I, I picked it up in Mexico City. Um, I've heard the cough all over the world as I've traveled. Uh, I heard it in Istanbul. Uh, there's something that's that's circulating. It doesn't appear to be COVID. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not killing people. So I think we can all uh, tell Jake Tapper and uh, his buddies at CNN <laughs> to go pound sand. Uh, and and uh, um, uh, not that I have anything personal against Jake and his family, but I am a little tired of, of his uh, fear porn business model. Well, he is... Uh... He's fundamentally a uh, a left wing activist. He is a uh, he comes from the Marxist dim school uh, of uh, broadcasting. That is, he, he was working for the Democrats in the open before uh, he began working for them. And I think he's a member of the he's CNN has got this amazing squad of members of the Council of Foreign Relations. Right. And he's one of them. Well, uh, there's a lot of that in in the national media. The CFR is, of course, their refuge from reality uh, when they want to talk geopolitics. Uh, it's it's really quite an organization uh, funded to the hilt by corporate the, the corporatists, uh, driven by uh, left wing politics and a neoliberal world order view. So there you are. Whoever's in I, it, I would love Lou. If anytime you want to riff on that. Uh, give me a call because I think uh, we could all learn a lot from you. You've been around the this business a long time, and you kind of know where the bodies are buried. I, well, I know where some of them are. Uh, my my chief task over the years has been to keep mine from being buried. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would be delighted to to do that. Uh, talk with you anytime. Always educational and entertaining. Talking with another great American, Doctor Malone. Well, January 3rd is now just days away. What will happen on Capitol Hill in the battle for Speaker of the House? Will it be another rhino or my personal favorite? Will it be Congressman Jim Jordan? Jordan, by the way, says he doesn't want the job, period. Here now is Congressman Bob Good of Virginia on the fight for the leadership of the House of Representatives. And will the Republican conference cave once again to the rhinos? Well, we are resolved uh, to demonstrate the courage necessary to bring true transformational change uh, in the interest of the country, in the interest of the Congress, and in the interest of the Republican Party. I tell my colleagues who are in this battle with me, 
we will remember for the rest of our lives what we did at this time. And we've got to make historic change. Uh, the country is teetering, as you know. Uh, there's so many crises that we could point to as the greatest threats to the country. Uh, but the point is we can't do what we've always done. We, as you know, we'll get what we've always got, and the country cannot survive another two years of that. And so we're resolving the battle. We are going to deny Kevin McCarthy the speakership. It's just a matter of that recognition being more widespread so we can more publicly vet uh, quality candidates who can get us to 218 that represent the conservative center of the conference. Well, that is uh, that is absolutely uh, uh, it warms my heart to hear you say that, uh, and I and I appreciate uh, your forthrightness and uh, and concrete statement that you're going to deny him the speakership, because I and I want to read everybody a tweet uh, from the congressman uh, about a week ago. Uh, uh, what he tweeted this. What has Kevin McCarthy done over the last two years to demonstrate he will challenge the status quo plaguing Washington and fight for the will of the American people as House Speaker? Now, that was, a, that was over a week ago, and I think you succinctly put forward the, the proposition uh, that a lot of uh, people, whether they be in the national corporate media, whether they be on Capitol Hill as either Republican or Democrat, uh, that that was not succinctly anywhere else, as far as I know, put forward. Uh, and I think you hit it right, uh, right on the head from, the ver from Jump Street uh, in this collision of forces within the GOP conference itself. Uh, what have, have you seen anything that would change your mind? No, sir. And really, uh, Lou, if Republican members of Congress are honest, they would tell you that not supporting Kevin McCarthy is actually doing the will of the people who elected us. You know, I often will say I'm not here to do the will of the people who voted against me because I told them what I was going to do and they voted against me. I am here to do the will of the people who voted for me, the promises that I made to them on the things that I would fight for, the things that I would stand for and how I would cast my votes on their behalf. And over the last three years, since I first started my journey to run for Congress in 2020, you know, in 2019, when I began the campaign, I have had hundreds and hundreds of voters and constituents in my district plead with me and beg me and implore me not to support Kevin McCarthy. I came in 2020, and there was no challenge to him, and no one was st standing up against the status quo. He was elected by acclamation. I saw that as a freshman, and I said, I will judge him based on what he does in my first two years. And, Lou, he had an almost uh, uh, unique opportunity just as the minority leader to candidate uh, alone uh, for the opportunity to be speaker when we took the majority. And there was nothing that he did during my first two years to earn my vote. Uh, he failed time and again to lead. He failed time and again to have a plan. He failed time and again to use every tool at our, at our disposal in a tight minority where we're just a few votes short of the majority. And there's nothing, again, that you can point to to say, hey, that's the reason why he should be the leader. And we're in it right now, Lou, as you know. What's going to happen in this lame duck spending fight You know, near and dear to your heart? get this better than anybody, but well, we're, not seeing, we're not seeing the demand now, the challenge to McConnell in the Senate that we in the House will provide no votes for this terrible spending package is going to get try to get jammed down our throats. 
and that we're not going to give no bipartisan cover to these weak, feeble senators who want to give them the 60 votes they need, and that if they do this, we will fight them tooth and nail with everything we've got in the majority uh, in, in 2013 and beyond if they do this to us and do this to the country, most importantly. He's got an opportunity in these two weeks to show the fight we haven't seen in two years. Well, he, he does have that opportunity, but instead what we're getting is a sort of an a la carte version of an agenda. Now he is promising because he sees that you guys are, your backs are, your spines are stiffening uh, and you are really a, now he understands, I believe, the dimension of the threat you pose to his uh, dreams of the speakership. Uh, he's saying that, uh, yes, we'll have subpoenas. We'll subpoena every one of those 51 uh, intelligence veterans uh, who will come before the uh, for the House. Now, my guess is he means that the House uh, Intelligence Committee will sub- will send those subpoenas out, and then you will have a, a congressman chairing that committee uh, that I for, personally don't believe is uh, quite the right fellow for the job. Uh, and I'm talking about Congressman uh, Michael Turner. Uh, he is he's a rhino. Uh, there is no doubt of it. Uh, he is not a man who, had, when he had an opportunity to take uh, uh, to take charge of an investigation, chose not to. And I'm talking about with the CCP, China. Uh, he, he has disappointed me on numerous occasions. Uh, I'd like to get your thinking on that. Well, you're exactly right. And unfortunately, sadly, though, Lou, he is representative of the majority of the chairman that we will have. In the short run, what this is about, it's not about a person or a personality. But yes, it is about the short run, this objective, this battle to get a better speaker for 2013 and 2014 for the next two years. But the bigger long term picture is we're trying to break up the swamp cartel. And we're trying to strike a blow against a system, a Republican system, mind you, that's hostile to conservatives, that's hostile to our base of voters, and it's hostile to the input of regular members, where we can't almost conceive, Lou, that we would have chairmen of our committees that you would say, gosh, those are real fighters. Those are real champions of conservatism. Those are real change agents. You know, Jim Jordan, sadly, is the, is the exception. And there's one or two others that are, that, are, that are decent and okay. But really, the majority of the rankers that we have that are in line to become chairman are those who will disappoint you. They have played the game. They have uh, navigated the swamp system. And that's what we're trying to do is to deal a blow to a system that's frankly hostile to the very things that we all run on and the very things we campaign against when we're asking folks to send us to Washington to battle against the Biden-Schumer-Pelosi agenda. Bob Good, standing up for the American people and America First principles. And now, Congressman Matt Gates, patriot, proud supporter of America First. Congressman Gates, on where the contest for Speaker of the House will likely lead the Republicans come January 3rd. I think the American people know that Washington is broken, and we have a corrupt system that advances people through leadership based on their ability to launder special interest money from the PACs and the federal lobbyists into the coffers of members' campaigns. And I think we ought to raise our gaze and be better than that and do something other than maybe what Washington would expect of us. I think we need a fresh start. I think in a very slim majority, we're going to need a speaker 
with broad credibility across every aspect of the Republican conference. And we've got to find somebody who doesn't have five objectors. And at the end of the day, we're in a process of elimination exercise right now. I think there are you know, 221 members of Congress out of the 222 I'd be open-minded to at least listen to and see if there's a vision to bring us together and to win against the Democrats. Because what I recall out of Kevin McCarthy, when he was Paul Ryan's majority leader, and we actually had subpoena power, and Jim Jordan and Ron DeSantis and Mark Meadows and I were asking for it to expose a lot of these deep state lies before they manifested into what we see today, Kevin McCarthy sat on his hands. He wasn't an advocate for strenuous oversight. He was right there to do the bidding of Paul Ryan. And I just don't think that he has passed the leadership test in the time that he's he served in these various roles. And I think if we had somebody new, we'd be far more effective. And I think there are a lot of people who agree with you. And what's really interesting to me is I as I've covered uh, these leadership battles over the years uh, and votes is that this is an outright threat against uh, the conference. Uh, Kevin McCarthy saying, you know, I mean, basically be Armageddon and the Democrats would take over. Uh, and a lot of nonsense is spewed here when point of fact, what you're not doing is proceeding to follow the leader, as has been the case for the Republicans. And it's how the Republicans got in this shape, in my opinion, Congressman, is they they are elected by moderates and conservatives and independents across the country and then come to Washington and then turn the whole thing over to rhinos. And by the way, the Democratic Party doesn't have a counterpart to rhinos. They don't have dinos. So why do you guys always find a rhino to take over a conservative uh, MAGA agenda, for example? Well, the rhino is actually in its natural habitat at a lobbyist fundraiser. They are the most adept and skilled and, uh, you know, I think capable in an environment where basically you trade your vote to special interest groups that often have America last principles on trade and immigration that, that they embrace. And so the rhino is actually quite skilled at being able to convert special interest money into campaign money. And it just so happens that's sort of the principal covenant of leadership to the members of the House of Representatives, but it doesn't have to be that way. We have work to do to investigate this administration on the border with the use of politics at the FBI with these horrible um, realizations that we're seeing through the Twitter files released by Elon Musk. We have so much work to do. And I just, you know, don't believe that we ought to begin that effort with somebody who, when the chips are down, seems to make poor judgment calls. I mean, you'll remember when I initially sought the ouster of Liz Cheney after she backed impeachment and wouldn't shut up about it, Kevin McCarthy stood before the conference and kept her in that position for months before ultimately acquiescing to her removal. Like, that wasn't a good judgment call. That's not someone who has passed the test of leadership. You know, he was recorded on a phone conversation saying that because I traveled to Wyoming, actually did your show from the steps of the Wyoming Capitol to make my political critique of Liz Cheney, he said that that might have been provoking violence in our politics. And, you know, I think we deserve leaders who understand that critique 
and debate are actually the things that stop a civilized society from devolving into violence. But the argument people make for Kevin is that he's raised more money than anyone in the history of time for Republican candidates. And so they think he just deserves it as a consequence. And I don't think the country is well served if that is the principal metric. And going to the metrics that I agree with you that do count, uh, what has been his leadership moment? What has been that decision he's taken, that uh, position that he has staked out uh, that required courage and principle uh, and true leadership uh, that for which he should be memorialized and also which would be the foundation of his uh, seeking uh, the speakership? Well, he would point to the fact that he holds the record for the longest speech ever on the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, and to cite that in the absence of substantive wins for our people, I think tells you all you need to know about the bloviating and blather that often constrains Washington, D.C., rather than directing us to actually solve the problems that people are facing. You know, the, the hobgoblin argument that's been thrown out there is that, oh, well, if Republicans are divided on McCarthy, that somehow Hakeem Jeffries is going to become speaker. The reality is Hakeem Jeffries has 212 votes, and it takes 218 to become speaker. And there are not six Republicans. There's not one Republican that would vote for a Democrat, even the impeachers, even the most moderate among the group. But, you know, the, the, the true question is whether or not Republicans will get into the posture of realizing that this is a process of elimination exercise, or if we're going to begin our term in the majority, unable to elect a speaker. And I got to tell you, Lou, that could be a very real possibility. We could go to the floor. No person could be able to achieve 218 votes. And we might have to work that out for a while. And it might not be easy and it might not be quick, but I'd rather make the right decision for the next two years than, you know, have a bunch of hand wringing and bedwetting over whether or not it's going to take us two weeks or two months to figure it out. Congressman Matt Gates, like all of the others you've heard here today, a great American. Congressman Gates, Congressman Good, Dr. Malone, and former FBI agent Galliano. We thank them for their words of wisdom and their insight. And thank you, everyone, for being with us today. Please join us here Monday when our guest will be Congressman Matt Rosendale of the great state of Montana. Congressman Rosendale among the Freedom Caucus fighters for America First principles and leadership. Please join us here Monday on The Great America Show. And a reminder to follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs. That's at Lou Dobbs on Twitter and Truth Social. And if you have any feedback for the show, any questions or guests that you would love to see more of, email us at lou at loudobbs.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a happy and healthy new year. Hope to see you here Monday. Until then, God bless you. And may God bless America.